hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. You're listening to a Queer Money episode number 200. Can you believe it? We've had 200 episodes. We can't believe it. We can't believe it partly because when we started Queer Money, there wasn't a single podcast solely dedicated to the financial wellness of the queer community. The only other platform at that time talking about queer money was DebtFreeGuys.com. Since then, 2015, a lot has changed. More in our community are talking about our financial wellness, and we even have more personal finance bloggers, YouTubers, and social media influencers who are also queer. It's great to see, and we're excited to see how the landscape evolves for our community over the next 200 episodes. And we have you, our listeners, as well as our show sponsors, currently Capital One, for helping make this happen. Today's guest is a prime example of the newer voices in our community talking about personal finance. We're joined by Court, who's one-third, along with her wife and child, of Modern Family, F-I-M-I-L-Y. Court shares how she and Nick got on the road to financial independence and their experience with this journey as a same-sex couple. Court shares some great knowledge, and you're not going to want to miss it. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group. We may answer it in an upcoming episode. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. The foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. A bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experian Boost and watch your credit score improve by 5 to 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash boost. Now, on with the show. So today we have Court from Court, Nick, and Finn of Modern Family. Welcome to Crew Money. Thank you. Hi. Happy to be here. We're excited to have you. So it sounds like if I'm following along correctly that uh, you maybe had a slight budgeting addiction or maybe just an Excel spreadsheet addiction (laughs) um, before you got into the personal finance space. How did you become interested in personal finance and did you always have that or was that from early on in your life? Yeah. So I've always been a type A personality. I've been very neat, clean, organized, tidy. And so it's just kind of natural that my finances were neat, clean, tidy, organized as well. I've never actually had a budget per se. I've never used you need a budget, YNAB or Mint or personal capital or anything like that. But I am into simple (laughs) Excel stuff. You know, I'm a math and, and econ major. So I get numbers and I love playing around with numbers and doing analysis and things like that. But it really all started from just simply tracking my expenses. I had a simple Excel sheet that had one column with all of my expenses for the month, another column with all of my income for the month, and then another column netting it all together. And that's honestly the same simple Excel sheet that I use to this day. Every tab is a different month. And I started this back in 2009, uh, right when I started my first big girl job, I guess we'll call it, (laughs) after my master's. And um, to this day, you know, I've got a tab for every month since then. So it's it's super wow. simple, but it just helps me to visualize things. I'm a very visual learner. So if I was to just read something like read my uh, bank account statement or read my credit card statement, it would kind of go in one year out the other. So I had to take that extra step of you know reading it and then processing it by putting it into this Excel sheet. And then that's just been my way of, of tracking things. So it sounds like with how you like to use Excel, that you're almost looking to put out the entire fintech industry. (laughs) No more mint or why. Don't get me wrong. Like all those apps and programs are great. I'm I'm not bashing them by any means, but you don't, you also don't need that. You know, you can really keep it simple. You know, it's just, it's, 
being aware of your spending, right? And this is just one very, very powerful way of being aware of your spending. Like it, for me, like we use credit cards for everything. So, you know, you swipe, 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 and you really have no clue of what you spent over a given day, week, month, right? If you're, if you're not really thinking about it afterwards, after that transaction, but by going in at first, I was doing it weekly when I started. Now I do it about monthly since most things are on autopilot pretty much at this point. And we've like figured out the mindset where you don't need to spend all this money. So we're really not spending all this money. It it goes by super quick, but the actual process of logging in, seeing where everything went and putting it and accounting for it in a simple, simple spreadsheet is a really, really powerful exercise. It seems like, well, this seems silly. This seems dumb. Why would I do it? Like try it. Like if you've never done it before, I would just highly suggest trying it for the sake of trying it and see, you know, a month, six months, a year later, if your spending has changed at all, because you see now, oh, wow, like I spent this much money on this two weeks ago. Like, I don't even remember what that was, or I'm not even using that anymore. You know what I mean? Like you realize, you know, after the fact of like, was that a good purchase? Because you're now brought back to that transaction a couple weeks after the fact. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting you bring this up because uh, the members of our credit card payoff plan, one of the first exercises that we do with them is that we have them go through a spending analysis, preferably for the previous 12 months. And it's so interesting because uh, I think of one individual's experience that when he was going through that, we could tell the emotion that he was going through as he started to look at the categories that he had been spending in over the year. And just, he was so surprised. One of the individuals, he mentioned how he didn't realize how frequently he would get up from his desk and go out to the coffee shop that was 50 feet away from his desk. Mm -hmm. But he after he mapped it out, another member of our course, he and his husband, when they did it, they didn't realize that they were spending so much money on not only their own kids' birthday parties, but sending their kids to other birthday parties, that it was that was one of the major reasons why they just were continuing to go further and further and further and further into debt. Mm-hmm. And I think that Like you said, until you see it, until you actually see where you're spending your money, it is almost like a black hole, especially if you're doing credit cards and you're just looking at the statement and, you know, some of these businesses, they lump everything together. So you don't know, is this actually groceries or is this alcohol or is this some gas, you know, it's just all lumped together. So you just kind of assume, you know, where you're spending your money and it's not on anything special and then you look at it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's going that one extra step. It's just a simple, simple exercise. But like you said, it gives you more clarity, right? As to where your spending's actually taking place, which yeah. is so powerful. Absolutely. So I don't know how you would measure this, but I would love to see a study that compares how well people succeed with budgeting apps that are slick and easy to use, easy to access, that track everything for you or categorize everything for you, relative to you two anyway, who <laughs> <laughs> like to use Excel spreadsheets. And and, yeah. and, and now, because I wonder if there's some conscious or unconscious value in that granular experience of looking at the statement or looking at your, your expense on your on, online and then transposing that over to the right line item on your Excel spreadsheet and really understanding what's going on there. Because they say you spend more money when you use debit cards than if you use cash, and then you spend more money if you use credit cards, if over typically over debit cards. And part of that is because it's somewhat unconscious. To your point, you and your wife use uh, credit cards for everything. So Right there, it might suggest, hey, you guys should be overspending all of your, your, your money. But because you take that extra granular step and really understand where the money's coming from and where your money's going, then it kind of negates the risk of using your credit cards. Exactly. Yeah. And paired up with that is like we are just naturally frugal, naturally savers. Um, we're not the natural spenders which I think 99% of society is, um, you know, so we just, our brains, I guess, are tweaked a little differently that, you know, it's never been like, so for example, you know, through high school, college, grad school, I was working oddball minimum wage jobs here and there, you know, making 
couple thousand dollars a year. And starting my first job after my master's, my income drastically shot up from where it had ever been in the past. And I think most people think, oh, wow, like I just started making all this extra money. Now, what can I spend it on? Right? <laughs> right yep. Spend, spend, spend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for me, that, that was never a thought for me. It was, wow, I have all these student loans. I need to pay these off right away. So mm-hmm. that was like my initial thought of, okay, now I have this gap here between my income and my spending. Life and money has always been a game to me of like how to optimize my money the best way possible. So to start, it was, you know, how can I pay off these loans as fast as possible? I had $65,000 in student loans to start off with. I paid them off over a two and a half year span. So it ended up totaling about 70,000 when all was said and done with interest accrued. But, you know, if I didn't make it this mission to pay it off ASAP, I likely would still have a large majority of my loans still under my name to this day, right? right like if you were just right. paying the minimum balance, you know, a lot of it is going towards interest and not the principal. So, you know, and this was before I knew anything about investing or personal finance or anything like that. You know, that was just kind of my start was like, okay, I have all these loans. I need to crush them. That was just my immediate thought. And so how did I do that? You know, I lived right across the street from where I worked. I lived with roommates. I had lived with roommates for years up until that point in school. So it was like kind of second nature to me to continue living with roommates. Whereas I feel like a lot of people, you know, see, oh, I now I'm making all this money. I now can live in this nice one bedroom apartment downtown or, you know, whatever the thought may be like Mm -hmm. that never really crossed my mind. You know, like Mm -hmm. I was walking to work because I was literally right across the street. So my transportation costs were low. I learned about travel hacking. So I got to do a lot of traveling for dirt cheap and got to see the world, which is like my number one passion in, in life. So I was still living a very happy life. I was still very content with everything. And I was actually at probably happier because I saw these loans disappearing, which meant like my goal was actually attainable and I was reaching it, you know, versus, you know, having this loan in the back of my mind, oh, I'll pay it someday. It'll get paid off someday. Like you have that constant stress or that constant nagging in your mind that you just can never, you know, have disappear. But because my goal was focused on for what I think a very positive thing, you know, it made it very easy for me to focus on it and just try it and crush it as fast as possible. So just out of curiosity, when you look in the mirror, do you see a unicorn? Because what you're (laughs) describing to me is something that is just so amazing, but not natural in the world we live in today. You know, Nick and I joke about this all the time because we both have like a very similar mindset with money. You know, the next question everyone always asks is, is how did you get Nick on board? And it's like, I didn't have to get her on board. Like we both see life this way. We both see money this way. Like, but for me, I feel like we're living a very normal life. But like now that I've like come out of the money closet a little bit, I'm learning that like, this is not normal. You know, most people do not think like this in terms of their finances. You know, most people are not naturally savers and not naturally frugal. And to me, like, I understand, you know, how lifestyle creep impacts people's lives and I get it. But for me, I feel like, you know, we're living a happy life. It's not like we are feeling deprived in any sense. And so it's hard for me to understand, like, how can someone making say a hundred thousand dollars be spending a hundred thousand dollars? Like, I just, Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Like we were (laughs) at that point, you know, like my income had climbed above that in the past. I now work part-time, so it's lower, but we were at a point where our income was higher than that, but we spend $25,000 a year for our family of three. So it's like, I don't get it, you know? And so for that, that's my unicorn, I guess is like, I just don't, (laughs) I don't get it. You know, it's very, very hard for me to understand. Like, how, like in my mind, I'm like, okay, maybe we can eat out at restaurants more, or maybe we can do more luxury type of travel, or maybe we can buy a fancier car. But even then, I don't think we'd be at a hundred thousand dollars. So it's just that part for me is mind boggling of like, how do you spend that much money? And I know, and I know I'm talking to the the crowd here on this, like I know I'm the oddball out. Right. And it's, so it's just hard for me to 
understand how spending can get that high. And so for that, yes, I understand I'm a unicorn, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's it's just hard for me to, to conceptualize that. So did you consciously or subconsciously become a member of the FIRE community? It kind of sounds like it was almost organic for you. Yeah, exactly. So it was organic. So I started off we'll say my journey here in 2009, right after school. And this was before I had heard about the fire concept and the fire community. So I was already living, you know, the core pillars or principles or however, whatever you want to call it of the fire lifestyle before I knew that fire was a thing. Right. So that was in 2009, Uh, the middle of 2011, I had finished paying off my student loans. The next step in my brain was just okay, let me save up now for a down payment. I was living in South Florida. We all know the type of economy that we were living in during this time frame, And there were tons of foreclosures and short sales. My family's home was one of them, you know, so I understand the pain that that has caused to many, many households out there. But for me, it was an opportunity. You know, I can buy a townhouse here that's way bigger than I need, but it's very affordable. And I can then have roommates, which is what I had been doing, you know, my, the last however many years up until this point and have my roommates pay for way more than my mortgage and beyond that. And then I was contributing some as well. And so I was able to pay off my mortgage in two and a half years. And so again, like that's mind boggling to most people. Right. But to me, it was just like, why wouldn't I do this when rent was going up? Because there's so many more people renting because they're being forced out of their homes. The natural progression to me was like, well, then I should buy. And so then you know, my mission was to save up for a down payment. And that's what I did. And right around then is when I discovered this whole concept of fire. It was through a a coworker of mine. She mentioned the Mr. Money Mustache blog to me. And immediately, as soon as, and and we didn't really get along very well. She was my shift partner. She was nice enough, but we just, we had different values in life and everything. But she mentioned that to me and I went right to the website and it was just this I just read literally every article and I was like, I found my calling, and you know, like <laughs> I found my community. Every single article is like, yes, yes, like, yes, of course. Why not? You know? And then through that blog, I learned about other blogs of other members of the fire community. And now there's podcasts specifically related to financial independence. So it's growing, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. so glad to see it's growing because to me, I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't anyone want to pursue fire? Why wouldn't anyone want financial independence to be their goal? Like to me, it's just been, like you said, this organic thought of mine from the get go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that the big difference is the word that you mentioned is values. Your values and the way you spend your money are aligning so that you get happiness. And so many people in the world today are spending money that's not in line with their values, or it is in line with their values and their values continue to drive them further and further into financial ruin. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That is like (laughs) the perfect sentence right there is, you know, it's aligning (laughs) your actions with your values. If there's, you know, I like to consider ourselves as valuists. We figured out the things that we value and that's what we spend our money on. We've cut out the fluff on everything else. You know, there's so many things out there that, you know, everyone, society spends their money on. The next biggest TV, we went from, I remember when 32 inches was a big TV and now, you know, there's (laughs) 65 plus. I don't even know. We don't have TV anymore. You know, it's, you know, we've cut out TV, we've cut out cable, we've cut out advertising and marketing and then, you know, general consumerism lifestyle that is just bred in our culture these days of just buy, 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 spend, spend, spend. This is what will make you happier. This big fancy ring, and you know this big fancy car and this big fancy house to house that car and you need three car garage now you know all these things it's like (laughs) no you don't need that when you really 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 try and focus on it it's like what makes you happy and like one of my biggest things that I try and get people to do is to write down you know take a pause right now and write down the top 10 things on a weekly basis that bring you joy Whatever those 10 things are, 
right? I think a day is a little too short, a year is too long, but over a course of a week, you know, what do you do that you actually enjoy? And you'll see like from that list of 10 things, most of them don't cost any money. And the ones that do are probably not that expensive. You know, like spending time with our family, getting outside in front of nature, going on walks or hiking or skiing, things along that line, you know, spending, making quality meals together and having meals together, being there together. You know, all these things don't really cost that much money. Taking a warm bath, getting a good night's sleep, reading a book drinking coffee on our couch. All these things are simple, but they're the things that bring us joy. So that's right. what we focus on, you know, and we don't need to be, you know, buying the latest phone and all this stuff, you know. It's just insane how much money we spend because we think it's going to bring us happiness. But then right. you look back and you're like, that didn't add any extra happiness to my life. Like what's wrong? What's wrong with me? You think it's a problem with you, right? And it's like, no, like everyone's feeling the same way, but no one really wants to admit it. (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. So let me ask you, I don't know if if any of your friends, certainly some of our friends have said this to us, but maybe colleagues or individuals who have connected with you, family members, have, have they ever said, but don't you feel like you're missing out? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people that we know look at our life and they think we aren't doing anything with our life. They think that we are being super frugal with our money and we don't spend money anywhere. And and that's not the case. You know, what we spend our money on is traveling. We love to travel, but we travel hack. So we keep it at a very, very low cost. I learned about travel hacking back in 2010. And so we've accumulated hundreds of thousands of miles. We actually have over a million miles of points in our bank right now. And we've been to over 25 countries, closer to 30 countries at this point. So we've been, you know, all over the world, which is what we enjoy doing, but we keep it at a low cost. You know, we, we stay at Airbnbs or we camp. We really like camping. So if it's a place that, you know, the climate will allow it, we'll camp. And we enjoy that. Some people see that as deprivation. Like we happen to enjoy that. Right. So, and it happens to be at a low cost. So we do things that we enjoy, but we've like, like I said earlier, is like we've gamed life to try and do everything that we would want to do, but keep as much money in our bank. So for example, like the house hacking, for example, like we now were homeowners, but we had, didn't have any mortgage associated to it. Like if we wanted to go to a concert, for example, like while we were living in Florida, there's a five day festival called Sunfest, and every year we would go to it, but how we would go to it for free is we would sign up to volunteer for three hours. We would do the VIP group because you end up in the best area. You get like front row (laughs) seats, right? We volunteer for three hours and then you have access to the whole concert for the rest of the day. Plus you had an extra day that you would get in for free as well. So we would volunteer for two days, six hours total. And boom, now we were just there for four days to this festival that we wanted to be at. You know, same thing for like a Spartan race. Our family members wanted to do a group Spartan race. And we were like, okay, you know, we'll do it. But then we immediately went onto their website. Nick is the guru behind this. She's like the investigator, Googler, researcher, hacker. (laughs) And she's like, hey, we can just volunteer, you know, either to help set it up or, you know, monitor one of the course locations or something for a different day that they're having it, you know, spend a couple hours doing that. And boom, now we can go do the Spartan race for free. So it's like, that's what we do. You know, it's like, we're still doing things, but we're tweaking the way we pay for them essentially by pretty much not paying for them. So I think, (laughs) uh, you know, our family knows like that we, we would never just be the people that would be like, Hey, let's go buy this. And we just go on Google and immediately two seconds later, boom, it's done. Like, no, we research and we take the time to figure out like, is this the best way to go about it? Is there a way we can do it for 80% off or even free? Okay, let's do it that way. And to us, like we see that as a win. Like I understand other people see that as like, why would you go through all the time and effort and energy to do that? Like, for us, you know, this is just how we've always optimized life is like, let's just get the biggest bang for our buck, essentially. 
Right. It's a different mindset as to how you look at life. You look for all of the opportunities rather than just the way to, to, to buy or get what you want. In a sense, you're exchanging your time for services in a different way than many people. They exchange their time for money, and then they use that money to buy things. And in some cases, you're exchanging your time directly for the thing that you want. So you don't have that money middleman to be there. You take advantage of some opportunity there that many people don't even realize is there. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's ultimately all about the mindset. That's all it is. Like nothing we're doing is this like secret code. How are you able to do this? You know, everything's out there. Everything we're doing is replicable. You know, we're not doing, like I said, I don't think we're doing anything super crazy abnormal. You know, it's just, like you said, we, we're optimizing our time in a different way, you know? And for us, like, Work-life balance is super important. So over our careers, we've never worked more than 40-hour weeks. Like we just wouldn't allow that. Like that's not something we value. So again, like climbing up the corporate ladder to be a VP and end up working 70 hours a week, like that's not something either of us ever wanted. So we have the time because we put in, you know, the the kind of the standard hours at work. We've actually both worked shift work for the most of our careers, which end up being less than 40 hours a week. But anyways, we now have that time to spend on researching things. So for example, like we're in the process of transitioning from a two-car family to a one-car family now that we don't need two cars to commute to work. And my wife has been looking at cars for months at a time. Like we, we're not feeling rushed. We don't need to rush. And so we take our time and we will like, you know, over time we see things and we're like, oh, this is a really good deal. And now, you know, boom, we've just actually just today, we've kind of locked down the car we're going to purchase. And we know we're getting a good deal out of it because we can, like we can spend our time to optimize things that way to know we're getting a good deal. Yeah. Which in the end saves you from having to spend all those extra hours at work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is all about, you know, freedom. <laughs> That's essentially right. what all of this is about, you know? And from the beginning, you know, our thought was never, because we didn't know what fire was, like the intention was never to retire early. That was never the the goal at the beginning. That goal kind of started when we knew we wanted to become a family and want more time with our daughter. That's when the early retirement piece came into play. But like you said, this has been kind of just organic of how our life has always been. And it, and it never was about, you know, we hate our jobs and we want to quit, quit the nine to five and, you know, do what we want. That was never it. Like we, my wife to her, well, she didn't really enjoy her job. So that was what was leading her to all of this. But for me, my life has been my work life has been pretty enjoyable. I mean, I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy the people I work with. And, you know, it's not because I have a bad boss or anything like that. It's just, I want the freedom to decide what I want to do with my time. And right now it's morphed into, I want to spend time with my family. I want to be there to raise my child. I don't want her to be in daycare. I don't want her to be spending time with someone else more than the amount of time she spends with me every day. Like to me, that just seems crazy. So I'm going to do what I need to do to be able to spend time with my family. And that's just how we've always like morphed our life is just, you know, figuring out what brings us joy and what we value and focusing on that. And that's, again, what it all kind of circles back to. Right. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I think that there's this constant uh, tug of war as to the true definition of fire, financial independence, and retire early. But when you look at both of those, the separate components, financial independence and retire early, when it comes down to it, financial independence is about having the freedom because you have money and retirement is about freedom from having to be consumed with a job or with a business or working for someone else or whatever the definition of you, ha you have, it really comes down to this whole idea of freedom. So that's what your, your ultimate, it sounds like your ultimate value is freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it and how you want to do it. And you're not going to be enslaved to what society or a circle of friends or a magazine or a website tells you this is what you have to do because it doesn't speak to your freedom. A hundred percent. Exactly. <laughs> 
I think the sad thing is, is that we don't take the time to actually listen to that. Listen to what your voice is saying inside your heart, that freedom, what does freedom look like to you? Because to some people, freedom, it does mean owning their own business and having the ability to decide how and when and, and, and how long that they are going to make money or in what manner they're going to make money. And for others, it's freedom because they want to spend time on the beach and they want to not have to be enslaved to having the 2,500 square foot house and the $60,000 car and the 80 hour a week job. Exactly. Like there's no cookie cutter answer as to what freedom means, right? Like it's, it's your own definition, right? Like for us, it's spending time as a family, you know, for someone else who doesn't have a family, then your definition of freedom is going to be something totally different. Like you said, it could be, you know, sipping margaritas at the beach all day, which, you know, I think is highly unlikely for anyone to do every day of their life, but you know, so be it if that's your definition. (laughs) I Um, accept that challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, like you said, you can be an entrepreneur and want to start your own business and, you know, spend hours and hours on that to see that's your little baby and see that grow. You know, that could be your definition of freedom, but not needing to be tied to, you know, the normal uh, Monday through Friday corporate job that's tying you down, you now have the time to devote towards your entrepreneurial efforts. Like that could be your definition of freedom. Or you may want to go travel the world and literally be nomads for the next 20 years of your life. Like that could be your definition of freedom. You know, it can honestly, like the spectrum is so vast and so wide that there's no like real definition to what your purpose in life is, what your true calling for freedom is. You know, that's something that you need to figure out on your own terms. And again, like once you do, then it makes this path and this journey so much more enjoyable because you're working on that along the way. Like that's another point like to make is that it's not like 10 years of just grind, 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 do nothing, never socialize, you know, never take a picture on your phone because nothing was that memorable. You know, this is not, (laughs) this is not what it's about. You know, like it's about like figuring out where you want your life to be and then designing and tweaking your life along the way to get there along the journey. So it's not like a grind, 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 and then halt, you've reached that point and now it's a new life begins. You know, it's not, it's not like that. It's just designing this life that you value, that that you enjoy, and reconfiguring things along the way so that way you can get there earlier by cutting out expenses that you've realized like this doesn't bring value to my life. I'm going to get rid of it. Simple as that. But like you said, you know, society tells us, you know, we we are supposed to live this life this way. We're supposed to have that 2,500 square foot house. We're supposed to have all the nice things inside of it. We're supposed to have the nice car and the, you know, all the gadgets. We, we want the jet ski and the boat or the snowmobile or, you know, all that stuff is fine and grand if you can afford it. And if you're still saving a hefty amount of money, but if you're not saving anything, like, what are you doing? You know, like, how are you ever going to be able to enjoy these material items if you don't have the time to go use them? Right. So this may sound like it's coming out of left field, but I have a string of thought here. But how has being a part of the LGBTQ community, uh, being in a same-sex relationship, positively or adversely affected your personal finance, your FIRE journey? You know, I don't really know if it has really influenced it. The only thing that I can figure out that is like two things that are similar, that being a same-sex couple, you know, we were in the closet for a while, like trying to figure out who we were, you know, separately before we met each other and then coming out and having to, you know, explain to people, friends and family who you know and love that, hey, you know, this is actually the real me, you know? And luckily we both come from very loving family and friends who were very supportive and we knew it was going to be a very supportive coming out experience, but it's still very nerve wrenching. And, you know, your heart's pumping. You have to say that sentence like, Hey mom and dad, like I'm a lesbian or Hey mom and dad, like I like girls, you know, however, however you structure it, right. Just getting that one sentence out is just so incredibly nerve wracking and you just want it to be over and, you know, your new life essentially can begin. And 
with regards to fire, I feel like we're kind of in a similar boat in that no one really knows about our personal finance situation. You know, we are in this personal finance closet at this point. You know, we're trying, <laughs> we're trying to come out like by coming on podcasts and and connecting with people who want to learn more about it. But to tell our actual friends and family about the situation that we're in, that we're like, hey, we're in our 30s and you know, we don't have to work anymore ever for the rest of our life. You know, that's, it's very, very, very challenging. And honestly, I'm having a lot harder time coming out of my fire closet than coming (laughs) out (laughs) of my lesbian closet. So I think, you know, being a same sex couple has, I think it makes you realize like you need to be true to yourself, right? Like you need to live your life the way it was intended to live and not live life based off of how society tells you how to live, right? Like if you lived your life, how society tells you how to live, you, I, me being a female, I would be marrying a man and we would have two to three kids and we would be living in this very stereotypical, you know, white picket fence house. Right. But because we were same sex couple, you know, I have already kind of become this subsect of society by being part of the LGBTQ community. And then I think that might have honestly helped me along my personal finance journey. Cause I'm like, I'm already seen as like a quote unquote outcast because of my sexual orientation, you know, why not, you know, really pack a punch <laughs> and <laughs> retire early in our thirties, you know? So I think that part really helps for us to be comfortable with like deviating away from the norm and not following everything that society tells us that we need to do. But I mean, I know we're a subsect of a subsect here, you know, and not many people can relate, but I think being a same sex couple really did help with that. And of like making us understand, like, you don't have to follow this cookie cutter recipe for your life. Like you can deviate and still have a really enjoyable life. And so here we are proving it two different ways, I guess. Right. Amen to that. So the, reason I asked that, the reason I asked that question is because you're a member of a community who, not everybody, but a, a good percentage of us grow up being ridiculed and picked on and being told by our institutions and our, in some cases, our government, our parents or our churches that we're not good enough or that we're doomed to hell. And so we grow up with the this sort of inferiority complex. And very often, unfortunately, um, and maybe it's more gay men than it is the other letters of the alphabet, but we seek validation with our showy displays of wealth. We feel like we need to strive for that C and E suite level position. We have to have the fancy car. We have to dress in all the fabulous clothing. And it seems like even though you're a member of that community, you didn't, you never really sought validation that way. And I'm wondering how you were able to overcome that or, 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 or have you? Yeah. I mean, good question. And I don't even know if I have a very good answer for this, but like you said, you know, I think we grow up as, you know, outsiders, right? And some of us may be bullied. Luckily, like I never was bullied. I never felt that outsider difference really through growing up. I I didn't come out until my senior year of high school. That's when I was in my first relationship with another girl. And I grew up playing hockey, so maybe this had something to do with it. But in general, female athletes, in particular some sports, hockey, softball, basketball, some female sports tend to have a higher level of lesbians just within your teammates. So I feel like I never was considered an outsider with my close friends because a lot of my close friends, whether it was before or after I came out, came out themselves. And so I think it was just like a general coming out for all of us that were like, oh, like you're a lesbian too? Me too. You know, it was like a bonding thing, which is a bit odd, you know, but I think because of this group of friends that I had always grown up with and had been my best friends, and not all of them, of course, are lesbians, but like there was a number of lesbians within my core group of friends that made it a lot easier for me in particular to feel welcomed. So that I think really helped me that I never felt like an outsider. And I can only I can only sympathize really for those members of the LGBTQ community that 
have been outcasted, you know, have been shunned from their homes or from their church groups or, you know, from their friends in school. Like I can only sympathize with them because I, I, it never really happened to me. So I guess I'm, I guess you can say fortunate in that sense, you know, that, that, that I didn't have to go through that and get that kind of inferiority complex that I had to prove myself in another way. Cause I think for me, it was kind of the opposite in that I felt more welcomed because now I quote unquote fit in more with (laughs) my best friends, you know? So it was, I had like kind of the exact opposite experience. That's good. I'm, I'm glad. You know, J- John and I, uh, that that was part of our personal experience is that both of us felt like uh, we were compelled to put on displays with our spending the way that we lived our lives to kind of prove to others that we were okay. We've heard this story from uh, others inside the, the queer money community that they have said the same thing, that they have felt like there was this always this obligation put on their shoulders to live up to this certain ideal of being the archetype gay or lesbian or whatever the case may be. So I'm glad that you haven't had to go through that. When we look at the community in general, the LGBT community, it it seems like there's less individuals in our community that talk about or are interested in financial topics. I think especially maybe it may may be changing with maybe some of the younger generations, but how do you think that we do a better job at encouraging more in the LGBT community to look for or try to reach for financial independence um, and to actually support it as a way in which if we are financially independent, we actually can give back to the community more than if we were not financially independent, that we're struggling financially with debt or low income jobs because of choice. Um, Sometimes we choose jobs because of wanting to serve a community, but we know that we're going to end up causing ourselves some financial stress because of that. How do you think that we encourage the community to do a better job? Yeah, I think it ultimately is, you know, again, lining your actions with your values. If you value supporting the LGBTQ community and you want to promote it in its best light possible, why not be like a shining star of that community? Why not be that person that shows like, hey guys, you know, we don't have to be now, you know, the stereotype like you were saying for most gay guys is to live this life of fancy suits and fancy cars and, you know, the E-suite, like you said, you know, office, why not reshape that? You know, why not focus instead and say, you know, we can still do all of that, but let's figure out a way to do it in a more economic, you know, fashion. Like, why don't we think about, you know, these are things that we want to promote within our community. We don't, like you said, you know, I think, having, you know, that inferiority complex and needing to prove yourself that already puts a lot of pressure on the status or, you know, this image of what we want to be seen as. So Mm -hmm. why not, why not morph that, you know, why not, uh, you know, change the mentality. And I think finances in general, this is not, you know, something specific to LGBTQ people that struggle with personal finances. You know, I think this is 99% 99% of society as a whole, you know, so, but I agree with what you're saying, you know, majority of people within the LGBT community aren't in tune with their finances either because they're part of the 99% of society, right? So I think it's just more of a societal thing. But again, I think like we need to use being part of this, uh, you know, subsect community, like this minority community, use that to our power to show like, yes, we are different. And it it show how different can be good. And different is good, right? Like weirdos are good. Like, you know, there's, (laughs) you know, that's a good thing to have. You don't want to be normal. You don't want to just blend in, right? Like if you blend in, you're going to be 65 and have no money to your name, right? Like that's what anyone blending in is going to look like. So why not deviate? Like you were, you were literally born to deviate from the norm. So why not? Like, do it even more so and project that to your finances and deviate from the norm of what people do with their finances rather than spend, 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 you know, think like, Hmm, this is what all of society is doing, but I'm not all of society. You know, I'm part of the LGBTQ community. Like why do I have to conform in that sense, you know, and deviate from that confirmation as well. 
And that's why I think what you and Nick are doing uh, through Modern Family is is so amazing. And I know that you don't focus so much on being a same-sex couple. It happens to be, it seems to be a, more of a byproduct of who you are, at least with regard to your blog. But I think it's a very powerful message because it sets an example that isn't really prevalent out there in broader society. So whether it's another lesbian or lesbian couple, LGBTQ person, or even the straight population, they look at you and your wife and they see, oh, look at them. They are kind of stepping outside of the norm. And well, look at the kind of financial security and the quality of life that they're having. Maybe maybe being normal isn't good. Maybe being weird, to your point, <laughs> is, is what you want to do. And there aren't many ex- examples, enough examples of weird people really rocking it with life. And it seems like that's what you and, and Nick are, are doing. And that's why I think it's powerful with what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. And you know, that you're actually inspiring me now to like write a post on our background as being lesbians and how that has impacted us. Cause you're right. Like we don't really focus on that that much because I don't see it as, you know, a defining feature of me. Like, of course it is. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like, like we said before, like, I feel like we're pretty normal. Like we're doing life pretty normally. Like I don't feel like people are staring at us when we walk down the streets because we're a same sex couple, you know, like we live in Canada where things are pretty socially, you know, left, you know, and, Hmm. and everyone's pretty accepting. And I, so I never feel like different in that sense. But, you know, to your point, you know, we, we are different, like we are weirdos and we need to embrace this weirdness, <laughs> you know, like more, I guess, you know, but, but at the same tune, you know, I also feel like we're very average and we're very normal and we're not doing anything too differently, but like, apparently we are right. Like apparently being an LGBTQ community member is different. You know, apparently being, you know, financially independence in your thirties is different and we need to you know, highlight that, but also show that this doesn't mean we're living life way differently than everyone else. Right. And I think that's what we're really trying to show is that like, yes, we're different and yes, we're weird. And yes, we need more weirdos, but like your life can still be a hundred percent enjoyable along the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, uh, one of the reasons why John and I like to share stories of other people in our community who are doing things just like you coming out about money is because there are so many in our community who don't have those examples. And it's great to have examples like you for others to see, you know, to connect with in the community and feel inspired that it's okay to say, yeah, I'm going to reach for financial independence. Yes, I'm going to retire with a million dollars or more. Yes, I'm going to enjoy my life the way I want to, not the way you tell me I have to. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And to add on to that is on our blog, we started a fire guest interview series. And I reached out through our Instagram. We have connected with quite a few people within this FIRE community who have been like awesome, like all around the world. We've reached out to a whole handful of them to see if they wanted to be part of this interview series. And out of the first four people that responded back with their answers, three out of the four were lesbian couples. So I think that just like We're out there, you know, like we are out there and we're organized because they like jumped right on this and like, yeah, I want to be part of this. Right. And they got the responses back to me literally within days. So like we're we're there, you know, like we want our voices to be heard and like head on over to the blog to check all those out, you know, for anyone listening, but we're there, you know, like reach out and we need to talk about money more. I think that's one of the biggest problems is And this is just, you know, again, more of a sweep through all of society, like money is a taboo topic, right? And like, within the LGBTQ community, like you said, we have this mindset that we need to show off, we need to like, have this flair, right, to showcase that we are different, but we are successful, right? And we are being great in the society that is not typically geared towards us, right? And but we we're showing all of this off, but our bank accounts don't have anything to show for it. Right. So I think we need to to flip that. Like we need to talk about money more. That's number one is you know like, oh, how did you go on this trip? Oh, I travel hacked. What's travel hacking? And then boom, now you're teaching your friend who happens to be part of the LGBTQ community what travel hacking is. You know, they may not have ne- 
heard of any of these things. But as you talk about all these things more and more, it doesn't have to just be money related, but just kind of more like life hack related, then it becomes more and more mainstream. And we we can make our community more and more geared toward towards these one off life hacks, you know, that's a win for everyone, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a great segue. I, this has been a phenomenal interview, and I think um, I, I can't wait to hear our community after they listen to this. So I think, you know, where can our listeners and other people who tap into this Square Money episode uh, find you, your wife, where are you on social media, all that good stuff? Yes, we have two main ways of getting in touch. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, and our handle there is at Modern Family. It's like a spin on the show Modern Family, um, but with F. I because we've reached financial independence. So Instagram at Modern Family and then our blog is modernfamily.com. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link up to both of those. Out if this interview inspired you, um, there's a lot more great content on their website. So thank you so much for giving us your time and uh, thank Nick for letting us have your time from her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. She's probably watching some cheesy Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> She's living my best life right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. Know that financial wellness is for everyone, regardless of your race, creed, sexual orientation, gender identity, socioeconomic class, whatever qualifier you can put on yourself. However we define ourselves, we can all achieve financial independence and security. Once we start to believe it, that's when we can start to achieve it. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group and we may answer it in the upcoming episode. Want to do better with your money? Of course you do. That's why Capital One Cafes and Capital One Bank offer free financial education through their money workshops and money coaching programs. Topics like tax basics, grocery shopping tips, and vacation planning are covered regularly. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Remember, the foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke, is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experium Boost and watch your credit score improve between 5 and 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash boost. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.